the Bible, and this is what's up for today. It's divorce, which is a great Father's Day sermon for everybody. So uh, I would say this, the best parenting advice I can give you is to love your wife, period. That's the best parenting advice I can give you. Uh, We know this to be true intuitively. Research has borne this out. The best environment to raise children is within a happy and healthy marriage, by far. That creates the security, that creates the stability that kids need to grow and to flourish. Our Cobb County is a kid-centric culture. There there may be other places that are the same, but here we are very kid-focused with the best of intentions. But what that winds up doing is we're putting too much focus on the wrong place. And so as dads, we need to focus on wife first and then kids. So hopefully as we go through this and we talk some about divorce and marriage, it will encourage all of you. I would say a couple of things. Um, Divorce is is personal, but it's not private. Everybody knows. And so for those of us in the room, every one of us has been touched on some level by divorce, and we can kind of automatically jump one way or the other. Some of us jump to shame, and uh, we feel ashamed of the things that we've done. You might have completely mangled a relationship, and what you need to know is divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Everything can be forgiven and redeemed and restored. Uh, There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction leads to repentance and healing. Condemnation leads to despair and kind of wallowing. Uh, conviction is from the Holy Spirit and condemnation is from the devil. And so if you're feeling, if, if as I'm talking today, if you feel yourself kind of moving towards shame, I want you to recognize that's the enemy and he's trying to cut you off from the grace of God. So that's kind of over here on one extreme. The other, sometimes when we talk about things like this, there can be this uh, thing in us that kind of rises up. I'm going to justify what I've done or what my loved one has done. And you don't need to, we're not fighting here. We're not pointing fingers or any of that. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, and the best thing any of us can do is just be honest about our own situation. And Jesus is the truth, and he ministers into reality, not into our notions of reality, and so what we all need to do is just be honest. And again, recognize divorce is not the unforgivable sin. You might have feel like if you completely blew it, God can 100% fix your heart, and he can bring healing to you, and uh, a, a hope and a future for you. And so you don't need to feel anything in you that says, I've got to justify or rationalize why I did or my parents did or my friend did, whatever it is that they've done. So let's get into this. We're just going to walk through this a few verses at a time, and uh, I'll do my best to try to explain it. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee, went into the region of of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? We'll stop there. Here's the setup, and what we need to hear is the setup. It's a trap. It says they're trying to test him, or they're trying to tempt him. What they're trying to do is get Jesus in trouble uh, on a couple of levels. If you remember a few months ago, we were looking at John the Baptist. He's arrested by Herod, and the reason he's arrested is because he he, he, uh, criticizes Herod for for taking Herodias, who is his brother's wife. So Herod is married, and he sets his wife aside. Herodias is married to his brother, and he goes after her, brings her into his home. And John the Baptist says, you can't do that. That's just wrong. Herod arrests him. His wife, Herodias, is upset with John the Baptist and eventually gets him beheaded. And so that's where Jesus is. He's actually in the territory of that Herod. Herod Antipas is his name. And he's in his territory. And so the Pharisees are are baiting him. 
Is it okay to give a divorce for any reason? And if he says no, then they've got something they can use against him with Herod. Maybe Herod can arrest Jesus and shut him down. Also, there's a huge debate within Judaism. There's two schools of thought on why people can divorce. If you read Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 3 or 4, um, Moses gives uh, some instructions. Here's how you divorce men. Here's how you divorce your wives. Wives weren't Wives didn't divorce. Men, here's how you divorce your wives. You give her a certificate of divorce, and you can do that if there's something indecent, I think is the, is the phrase. If you find something indecent in her or offensive, and there's two schools of thought on what that word means. There's a school, I think it's called Shammai, S-H-A-M-M-A-I, who was very conservative, and they said that's only for adultery. Sexual immorality is a legitimate reason for divorce. And there's another rabbinic school of thought, Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L, who says you can divorce her for anything that really you don't like. So literally, if she burns your toast, then you can divorce her. If you find another woman who is more attractive, then you can divorce her. And so what they're saying is pick a side. Which one of these things, that's what they say for any cause. Can Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? And they're trying to get him to pick sides. So at a minimum, they're hoping that he'll at least tick off some portion of the Jews who disagree with whichever side he takes, hopefully they can get him arrested and Herod can wind up doing their dirty work for them. So this is not a pastoral situation. This is not um, someone in a marriage coming to him saying, I'm dying, can you help me? What am I supposed to do? This is not a situation where somebody's saying, tell us everything God feels and thinks about marriage. This is not exhaustive. This is a group of enemies who are, who are asking him a question in order to trap him, and he is responding in a way to not get trapped. Everything he says is true, but you just need to keep in mind, this is not an exhaustive treatment on marriage in the Bible. So here's Jesus' response. Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, the two will become one flesh, they're no longer two, but one, therefore what God has joined together let man not separate. So here's Jesus' response. The Pharisees come to him with Moses. And what he does is he goes back even further to Genesis. And he says, rather than looking at that, let's look at God's original intention, God's original design for marriage. That's what we need to look at. Y'all are wondering about divorce. I'm going to talk to you about what God's desire is for marriage. And he gives four characteristics of what we're going to call a biblical marriage. The first one you see there is he made them male and female. So a biblical marriage is between a man and a woman. Now there could be, there's an entire political question over here on same-sex marriage, and that's not what we're talking about today. What I'm saying biblically, man and a woman, that's what a marriage is. That's the first thing for a healthy marriage. Second thing you see, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The King James calls that cleaving, leaving and cleaving. Our NIV says leave and be united. For a healthy marriage, there has to be the leaving and the cleaving or the leaving and the being united. What does that look like? What does that mean? Transferring your primary allegiance from mom and dad to your spouse. That's what this looks like. So during this time, most people would not set up their own homes. This is not a logistical issue. They would continue to live most likely with the, with the husband's parents just in an extended family type setting. So you can see why this statement is so important if you're actually literally living under the same roof. This is not logistical. It's fine to go out and get your own apartment or your house, but don't think that just because you've done that, you've done what Jesus said. This is an issue of identity. Where's my primary? 
Who am I identifying primarily as my family? Who's first? Where's the priority? Spouse versus mom and dad. I did a wedding yesterday, and dad walks, her name's Jessica, dad walks Jess down the aisle, we do the little declaration thing, who gives this woman to be married, this man, her mother and I, and then they had worked out this little cute thing, and Jess pulls out a credit card and gives it back to him, and it's, there's, there's truth there, she's not on his bill anymore, he, she is Brian's responsibility now, she's not dad's responsibility, that's part of what it means to leave and to cleave. Everything that I got from mom and dad, I'm now supposed to look to my spouse to provide. That doesn't mean you can never take money from your parents or they can't buy you dinner, but you get recognized primary family is husband and wife, not parents. And that's not just when it's good for us. We'll take your money, but we won't take anything else from you. Leaving and cleaving, I'm creating a separate household, a separate family with my spouse. One of a guy I went to college with, one of the biggest fights he and his wife had the first uh, year or two of marriage was when she needed her oil change, she would go home and let her dad change it. Now, my father-in-law is a mechanic. He can do whatever he wants to my car, and I don't care. There's nothing in that for me. But for this guy, his wife going home signified to him, you don't think I'm going to take care of you. You don't think I've got this, and so you're running home and letting your dad take care of you. It was a big issue for them. She had to quit, and she had to tell her dad, you can't change my oil anymore. Again, for me, not a big deal. For them, it was a huge deal. It was an ongoing issue for them. It's different for each couple. What does it look like to leave and to be united or to leave and to cleave? Girls, it doesn't mean your mom can't be your best friend anymore. That's not it at all. We're supposed to honor our father and mother until they die. So it's not saying you cut your parents off either. It's just a recognition that my primary allegiance, my primary loyalty, my priority with my time, the grid, the relational grid that I'm using to process life is spouse first versus mom and dad. That's what it means to leave and to cleave. Second, third thing that we see. So man and wife, man and woman, leaving and cleaving, the two shall become one. So Leaving and cleaving, to me, that's what we do. That's what we as people do, particularly on our wedding day. That's this, again, the visual on on a wedding. that Dad walks girl down, hears husband declare, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to have her. I'm going to hold her. I'm going to forsake all others. I'm going to be faithful to her as long as we But He hears that. And then she says, yeah, I'm in for that too. And then he gives her to him, that transference of, family allegiance there. That's what we do to becoming one. To me, that's what God does. There's some spiritual, supernatural thing that goes on that I don't understand where God takes two people and makes them one. It's not that he takes 50% of husband and 50% of wife and makes them one. He takes 100% of husband and 100% of wife and somehow makes them one without diluting their personalities. You're still an individual, but you're you're one with another. It's, It's a mystery. And Paul in Ephesians 5 talks about this mystery of two becoming one. And God's primary means of doing that is sex. And that's why sex is reserved for marriage. That's how God makes two one. And that's not just a wedding night or a honeymoon thing. That's an ongoing, that's the glue. That's ongoing glue in your relationship. And that's why sex outside of marriage is so devastating because you're becoming one with somebody who you're not committed to. Cohabitating couples function much more like boyfriend and girlfriend than husband and wife because the intimacy has outstripped the commitment, and that creates insecurity in the relationship. 
Only marriage provides the security, that commitment that says, I'm with you no matter what. Only marriage provides the security for the intimacy of sex. Everything else, the intimacy has outstripped the commitment. You've got two becoming one who haven't decided to come one. God is making one when the people have said, we're not ready for that yet. We're still test driving this thing. You can't, it's, it's backwards. And that's why it causes so much devastation when people have sex outside of marriage and then break up and all of these things that happen. It's the glue. 1 Corinthians 7.5, we're not going to talk about this. It talks about the importance of an ongoing healthy sexual relationship. It's in, again, this is not just a marriage night thing. It's not just a honeymoon thing. It's the glue and it's got to be ongoing, applied, if you like that. If that's an area of struggle for you, that's no, that's no shame. Particularly, what I've noticed is after people start having children, this area of their marriage can, can uh, struggle. If it's an issue for you, you've got to talk to somebody. You can talk to me. I'll talk to you like this when you come. But you've got to come, you've got to, you've got to come talk to me. And I'll, we'll figure something out. We'll put you with somebody who you can talk with. But you can't not deal with this issue. Again, this is the glue. This is what separates. Sex is what separates your relationship with your spouse from every other relationship that you have. And it's intended for, for you to regularly be together because, again, that's the bonding. That's two becoming one, which is an ongoing thing. And if that's not happening, then you have two not becoming one, which is two becoming two, which is not marriage at all. Fourth thing, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Marriage is meant to be permanent. You know that. God's intention is, is till death do you part. That's his intention. Malachi 2.16, uh, God says he hates divorce. And the reason he hates it is because it's us undoing something that he has done. By definition, divorce goes against God's original intention for marriage. His intention is to become one and stay one until somebody dies. And when we divorce, even if it's for biblical reasons, we're ripping apart something that he has stuck together. And it's devastating for us. It's devastating for everyone we're connected with. And God doesn't like that. Again, it goes against his original design, and it's devastating. Marriage is meant to be between a man and a woman. You're leaving and being united to your spouse. Two are becoming one, and it's meant to be permanent. That's healthy marriage. Then then the Pharisees respond and say, well, if that's the case, then how come Moses... Why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? If, if that's the deal, if God wants all marriage to be that way, to be permanent, then how come he made, how come he created these rules for how to get out of it? Great question. Here's how Jesus responds. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. That's the key. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. It takes two people to make a marriage. It takes one person to get a divorce. And if somebody has a hard heart, that is they're stubborn, they're rebellious, they're unwilling to repent of whatever it is that they're doing, they're unwilling to forgive, they're unwilling to pursue reconciliation, you got nothing. It only takes one person to bust up a marriage. And so Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because you have hard hearts. It was not this way from the beginning. If you read in Genesis, there is no divorce provision. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman, commits adultery. So again, divorce is a concession. It's not a command. It's not if someone commits adultery, then you divorce them. It's a concession. 
if there's hard-heartedness, if there's an unwillingness from one party or the other to actually repent, to actually seek reconciliation, if one person is, is just dead set on blowing the thing up, well then, okay, as a last resort, lesser of two evils, you can divorce. And if you read through the Bible, the big headings for the reasons for divorce fall under anything that would undermine two becoming one, anything that would undermine leaving and cleaving. Because those are the primary elements of a marriage. And so if, you're, if, if there's repeated behavior and unwillingness to repent over uh, behaviors that undermine two becoming one or undermine leaving and cleaving, then you have biblical grounds to get out of the marriage. So that's obviously why adultery fits. That is undermining two becoming one. And then if you read uh, 1 Corinthians 7, what is it, 15? About it, yeah, this is it. 1 Corinthians seven fifteen. If the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So that's abandonment. If, if your spouse just walks out on you, then they've obviously undermined leaving and cleaving. They're not cleaving anymore. They're not united to you. They've left. It's biblical grounds for divorce. Exodus 21 talks about this. This is in a, 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 a culture where polygamy is accepted. If a man marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with those three things, she's free to go without any payment of money. What you can see there, that's neglect. That's not, that's not leaving and cleaving. He's not uniting to this wife. He's not providing this family for her. He's not taking care of her. And so, in a very physical sense, he's not taking care of her, and so she can leave. And so, there may be others. You may be able to come up with an exception, and that's okay, or a different instance, special case. In general, biblically, grounds for divorce, adultery, abandonment, and neglect, with abuse being an extreme form of neglect. Those things undermine two becoming one, or they undermine the leaving and being united. Now, just because those things occur does not mean that you have to run down to the courthouse and get a divorce. This section is right on the heels of Jesus saying you forgive how many times? Seventy times seven. It's coming on the heels of him saying what? If you want to be in the kingdom of God, you've got to be humble. You've got to recognize your dependence, your need for God. If there's anything in me that's causing you to sin, I've got to deal with that severely. I've got to cut off my arm, pluck out my eye. And I don't want to do anything that would cause you or me to sin. So it's coming right on the heels of that. And so recognize that divorce is always, it's the lesser of evils. God, this is me, and it's easy for me to stand up here and say this because I'm not living in whatever world you're living in if you're in a difficult marriage. My reading of the Bible, my understanding of God's heart, if there's there's repentance then there should be forgiveness and there can always be reconciliation. God is always on the side of marriage. He's always on the side of reconciliation. And divorce, this is a hard, hard word to hear. Divorce is always a failure every time because God originally intended for you two to stay together. And it may very well be that you had to, it had to end because he, he or her was hard-hearted. They were unwilling to own up to what they were doing in the marriage. They were unwilling to stop behavior that was destroying two becoming one, unwilling to stop behavior that was undermining, leaving and cleaving. And that's then divorce. You had no choice in that matter. But there needs to be a recognition that God never desires that. His desire is always for reconciliation, and he's always on the side of reconciliation, of restoration, of relationship. So unhappiness, 
not a ground for divorce. Somebody gaining weight, losing their hair, that's no grounds for divorce. It's not. Not feeling fulfilled, no grounds. You found somebody better, no grounds. There's none of that is in here. Abandonment, neglect, and abuse, and adultery. Those are the things that you're looking for. And I would not try to spiritualize, I would not try to overly spiritualize those terms. If you're asking, can I get out? You're probably asking the wrong question. If you're wondering, does this behavior, is this my get out of the marriage card? Then your heart's probably already moving in the, in the wrong direction. Remarriage, Jewish understanding, you're free to remarry. The last line of a Jewish a divorce decree said, you're free to remarry. Literally, Jesus doesn't contradict that. So there's nothing that says you can't remarry if, you're, if you've been divorced on, on these biblical grounds. Now, you may be someone who says, I mangled my first one. I didn't get divorced on biblical grounds. I'm remarried now. What am I supposed to do? You don't divorce your current spouse. God, again, there's healing there. There's forgiveness there. There's blessing on that marriage. It's not second class. He or she is not some second class spouse. That's not how God works. He restores fully, and so you don't need to walk around with any sense of guilt or shame about that at all. Okay? The disciples, they hear this, and they say, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. They get it. If the bar is really that high, I think I'll just stay out. And this is a day of arranged marriages. So what Jesus is saying to these people who will not meet their spouse until they're saying, I do, he's saying you, there's, no, there's no escape clause here. You can't get out just because you're, she's not attractive or you can't get out because he's not rich or whatever the things are. You can't get out. You're, you're together here. And they're going, yeah, I don't know. And you can imagine, again, in a day of arranged marriages, what this feels like, what the seriousness of this, for Jesus to set the bar so high. And so he responds to them, he says, you're right. Not everyone can accept this word about singleness, but only those to whom it has been given. Some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men. And others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept these things should. So Jesus here is speaking about singleness, and you see there seems to be some sense of calling, some special grace for people who are single. And he puts people are single for three reasons. Some are born that way, and that can still be the case. You may have been born saying, you know what, maybe you're just saying, I never really wanted to get married. Great, nothing's wrong with you, there's no, no explanations needed. You just didn't want to get married, so don't. I think that's perfectly all right. He talks about people who were made that way by men, we don't do this anymore, um, there were guys who were, because of their jobs, kind of keeping track of the royal harem, they were castrated, and uh, we don't do that anymore. And so I don't know anybody who's made single by men. And then you have people who renounce marriage because of the kingdom of heaven, and this does happen. Uh, there are people who say, you know, for the sake of being more fully devoted to the Lord, I don't want to get married. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7. I want you to be free from concern. And a single man, an unmarried man, is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to him in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. And so what Paul, and that's true. 
any of you who are married would say, your spouse requires slash demands some portion of your attention, your energy. They get some of that, and rightfully so, they should. But that's time, energy, effort, whatever, that doesn't go to the Lord. And so what Paul is saying is you're divided, and that's a true statement. It's not a good statement or a bad statement, it's a true statement. And so there are some people who, for the sake of saying, I don't want to have, I don't want to be, I don't want that divided. I don't want my attention divided. I don't want to take on the cares and concerns of another person. I'm just going to stay single. And that is wonderful. And you, that absolutely, if you want to do that, and again, there's, there's no sense of needing to explain that or justify that or say you're okay or, no. Jesus says it's, it's, it's fine. Now, in the history of the church, we've elevated one or the other. There was this time where we elevated singleness and monks were more spiritual than everybody else and nuns were more spiritual than everybody else. And, and we did that. We said the celibate life is the better life. It's the more holy life. And now, particularly where we are, we've kind of shifted and we've elevated family life. And if you're single, you may feel like circle what doesn't belong. I don't know where in the church I'm supposed to plug in because we've so elevated family life. And biblically, there's not, there's no, there's not value for either one or there's equal value for both, however you want to say that. One is not better than the other. There's calling for both. There's calling for marriage. There's calling for singleness. And the thing is to embrace whatever God is calling you to. And, and as a church, for us to embrace people in all of those uh, stations of life. And so the question for us as we wrap is, well, where do we go from here? And everybody's in one of these three categories. You're married, whether that's first marriage or second or third. You're divorced or you're single. Everybody is one of those three. So let me ask you some questions based on where you are. If you're married, let me just ask where, where, where things are for you. Let me give you three, three categories. Commitment, intimacy, passion. Which one of those do you say, oh, I need to do a little work on that? Commitment. Think of the vows that you made, the spirit of those vows, not the letter of those vows. I'm thinking particularly of the vow to be faithful. Not just, again, literally. So you're, you would say, well, I'm not actively engaged in an extramarital affair. And I would say, that's wonderful for you. But there's more to being faithful than just that. ABC News did some type of search through divorce documents two years ago, and a third of them mentioned the word Facebook. Now, Facebook, we can debate whether it's a tool of the devil or not, but one of the things that it does do is it gives you easy access to other people. And so it can give you easy access to your high school sweetheart, and it can give you easy access to people of the opposite sex, and there's no walls on faith. It's, it's e it makes it easy to interact. That's why so many people are on it. I'm not telling you to disconnect your account, but I am saying I don't know that it makes a ton of sense for you to be friends with your ex-boyfriends and girlfriends. Nothing good's going to come from that. The best thing that comes from that is nothing. That's all you get out of it is nothing. Nothing bad happens. And I don't see a lot of positive benefit to you connecting with former boyfriends and girlfriends, particularly ones if you had a long-term relationship with them. That's not going to be good for your current marriage. And so I, that, I would say that's part of what it means, the spirit of being faithful to your spouse may mean that you don't connect with former spouses uh, or former um, boyfriends and girlfriends or spouses on Facebook or whatever way that is. For some of us, we're not actively engaged with somebody else, but there is someone who's caught our eye, and we put ourselves in the orbit of another person. Maybe it's a coworker, and you make a point to sit next to them at lunch, or you make a point to walk by their desk maybe a little more than you need to. 
make a point to ride together or to try to get on the same project. You're not doing anything now. But where is that leading? Is that honoring the spirit of being faithful to your spouse? For some of us, it's, it's not even real people. It's virtual people. It's things that we look at on TV and the internet. Are you being faithful to your spouse if you're looking at other women, whether they're real or not, whether you'll ever know them or not? Is that really honoring the spirit of what it means to be faithful? So commitment, where are you with that? Intimacy, that's the emotional connection. When was the last time you had a conversation with your spouse that didn't revolve around logistics? When you're, particularly when you start having kids, the easiest thing to do is divide and conquer. You take the house, I'll take the yard. You take this kid, I'll take this kid. We'll see you at Thanksgiving break. That type of thing, we do that. And it's, and it's, it's survival. But it's not, it, we lose that heart connection pretty quick. Like, I would just ask you this. When was the last time you had a conversation that anybody other than you would think is interesting with your spouse? When was the last time you talked about something that was actually engaging? You talked about the future, or you talked about what the Lord's doing in your life, or you talked anything other than carpool and dinner and the chores and the books. Those things all have to be discussed, but that's, that's just being roommates or business partners. That's not being spouses. And so do you, where, is that, where's that connection for you? Is that something that needs to be maintained? And then passion, that's sex. And where's that? And I don't, I don't want to know. I just want it to be good. You can talk to Brandon. He'll talk to you about those things. Just not me. Won't you? He will. He'll talk to you about anything. He's a better man than me with, with that. Single. Do you want to get married? That's my question. So if you're married, commitment, passion, intimacy. Give me a grade on those. And tell me which one needs to get better. If you're single, my question is, do you want to be? And if the answer is yes, then I want you to own that without any sense that there's anything wrong with you at all. I want you to say yes. I feel either for the sake of the kingdom I want to be single or because I just don't want to get married. Absolutely. And we want to affirm and validate that in you. And my encouragement to you is to ask the Lord, well, what do you want me to do? So this time that I'm not devoting to a spouse, what do you want me to devote this time to? Where do you, what, what do you want me to give myself to? If you're single and you want to be married, I would say own that as well. I'm not going to give you dating advice, and there's no dating advice in the Bible. All I'm going to say is let's just get God involved in that process. Let us pray with you. And if you feel on the outside of this church, you need to let me know because that's not our intention. If some, as, as a single man or a single woman, if you're saying, I don't feel like I fit, you need to let us know. So we, that's not... We're not communicating well, if that's what you're feeling. And we want to make sure that you feel pulled in. We're all brothers and sisters here, married or single. And so, if, again, if you're single and you don't want to be, I wouldn't re- spend a lot of time wrestling with, is God calling me to singleness? If you want to be married, then he's probably not calling you to be single. I don't think he's going to ask you to move in that direction if your heart is for a husband or a wife. And what I would do, again, is just begin to ask him, and you may already be doing this to get involved in the process of helping you find your spouse. And if you're divorced, whether you're remarried or not, my question is, are you whole? You can be remarried and still not be whole. Are you whole? If the answer is no, I'm not, then what we, the only way to deal with that is to go back and to say, what happened? And where does, where does there need to be confession? Where does there need to be repentance? And where does there need to be forgiveness and restoration? And it could be 
that for you, the divorce, it's, you're not divorced, it was your parents. And that has scarred you and you're not whole. That's what divorce does. But my question, particularly if you're divorced, is are you whole? That's not a matter of time. Time doesn't heal anything. God heals everything. And so we've got to be willing to bring those things to him, even if relationally you've already moved past it. Let's go back and deal with whatever it was that caused that first relationship to go south. Let's own whatever it is that you need to own. Ask God to forgive you and to bring healing there, and then you can move forward. If you're divorced and you would say, yeah, I'm whole, then I would say it's, the runway is, is open for you. The light's green, and you can pursue remarriage if your heart has been healed and you're whole before the Lord. So divorced, single, married, ask yourself those questions. We're going to uh, close with ministry. Bo's going to come back. I don't know. He, you have a guitar? Okay. So Bo's going to come back. He's going to close us with ministry time. We'll have ministry teams up in the front. And I want you to come forward for prayer. Everybody's in one of those categories, and nobody's perfect. And so I want you to, I want you to come forward and not be ashamed that somebody's going to think you're headed to the courthouse if you and your spouse come forward for prayer. That's not, that's not the atmosphere that we're trying to create here. We're walking with one another, recognizing we all have areas that we want growth. So I, do, I want you to come. Uh, again, if, if divorce is an issue for you, we want you to come. We want to pray for God to make you whole. If you're single we want to, and you want to be married, then we want to pray for your spouse and come forward. And we're going to pray for that, um, for God to bring that person into your life and to do it quick. And so those are the things that we're praying. I want to invite you to come so you guys can stand. Uh, I'll pray and then Bo will lead us in worship. Ministry teams, if you guys would come, whoever's on tap for today. God, we thank you for the institution of marriage. We thank you that you've given that to us. And we thank you, God, that you're for relationship. You're for marriage. God, I pray for those who are married in this place today, that you would strengthen their bonds to one another. I pray particularly for those who've been married less than five years. God, I pray for foundation for them, for strong foundation to be laid. If they need to connect with older couples, and we want to make that happen. But Lord, I want to pray that today, that as they come forward for prayer, there be just a, a, a gift of grace for them, for a strong foundation. God, I want to pray for those who are single, who are saying, I don't want to be. And Lord, we pray that you would bring them into a relationship with their spouse. God, that there would be more weddings here, and that everybody who desires to be married, God, we pray that you would do that. And God, I pray for any here who, who are divorced, and maybe right now are feeling pretty small, God, I pray that they would hear you saying to them, I fix everything, and I can fix this too. Just give it to me. So, Lord, we're asking you by your spirit to minister into each of these places of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can come forward as we sing.